Subway sandwich. But this is really an honor to be with you folks today and to be able to share with you uh, some things from the Word of God. If I were to entitle the message this morning, I would call it Liberty or Religious Liberty. And we're going to look at one verse of Scripture and we're really going to use it as a text. Maybe I should say a pretext. Uh, I'm going to take that as a launching point for four things I want to share with you in our time this morning. If you'll turn with me to your, in your Bibles to Psalm 72, verse 18. This is going to be our, our, uh, our theme for today. And uh, Psalm 72, verse 18, just one verse. A psalm written by, uh, for, it says, for Solomon, probably by Solomon, but uh, under inspiration of God. And verse 72 is, is a, uh, verse 18, excuse me, is a, is a very uh, special verse to me. In fact, uh, this has really become my life verse. Because as I look back on my life and see what God has done uh, uh, to me, uh, I just, uh, I'm, I marvel at His grace and at His, at, his, at his faithfulness. I shouldn't, because He's always been faithful, but it's really something to see uh, how God works in our lives. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things. Everything God does is wonderful. He is not capable of doing anything that is not wonderful. And uh, and we want to look at that this morning and use that as a, as our launching uh, point for uh, for four different uh, things I want to share with you this morning. Shall we pray? Dear Lord, take your word this morning. And help us to reflect on how wonderful you have been, you are, and you will be. Because you never change. And you are wonderful, and we thank you and praise you for it. And thank you for what you have done in our lives, and even in our country. And Lord, we pray for our country. It's in terrible need today. And unless you work... There is no hope for America. And so we do pray that you would work uh, today as you've worked in the past and turn our country around. Use your word to speak to our hearts, to encourage, to challenge, and to convict. In Jesus' name, amen. As I told you, there will be four points to the message this morning. The point number one is, blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things at the cross. I told you my topic was liberty, and all liberty begins at the cross of Calvary. In fact, no man can be free unless he's been to the cross of Calvary. You see, you don't know who I am. I'm an American. I'm a red-blooded, flag-waving American. I was born under the stars and stripes. I was born in the land of the free, the land of the brave. That may be true, but unless you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not a free man. Instead, you're in chains and slavery to the worst taskmaster this world has ever known, Satan himself. Jesus Christ said, if you know the truth, the truth will make you free. And so, there would be no question about it. He went on to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Once you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, <clears throat> once you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, no man can enslave you. Yes, they can put bars in front of your face. They can put shackles on your hand and on your feet. But you'll still be a free man. Why? Because Jesus Christ has set you free. 
If it were possible this morning, I could take you to the maritime prison there in Rome, and I could show you where Paul was shackled hand and foot between two Roman jailers, yet Paul was a free man. Why? Jesus Christ has set him free. This is the most important thing I'm going to say today. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you do not know that your sins are forgiven, if you do not know that heaven is your home, I beg of you, do not leave here today until you make that decision. So you know that your sins are forgiven. You know that heaven is your home. And you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. You can talk to me. You can talk to Pastor after the service today. We'd be glad to point to you verse by verse uh, from the Word of God how you can know that you are a free man. Point number two is, Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things, first of all, at the cross, and secondly, in the founding of our country and the framing of our Constitution. You can ask anyone who really understands the history of our country for the reason of the founding. And they will tell you it's for liberty. Yes, for religious liberty. But the liberty that we experience today is not the liberty that many of our founding fathers had in mind. For instance, when the Puritans came to Massachusetts shore, they came for liberty for Puritans. But Baptists need not apply. Baptists were not welcomed in Massachusetts. Well, you may say, what do you expect? That's them Yankees. <laughs> well, lest we become too proud of our Virginia heritage, let me remind you what really happened in Virginia nearly 400 years ago. They came for religious liberty also, but that liberty was afforded to Anglicans, to Episcopalians. And once again, Baptists need not apply. At one time, over 40 Baptist pastors were in jail for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, uh, John Weatherford preached the gospel out of the Chesterfield County Jail just a few miles from where I live. I had the privilege the other day of going by that jail again and looking at it and, and thinking about here this man was preaching uh, to crowds who gathered outside the jail window. And while he was preaching, he would extend his arms through the barred windows and those who opposed him preaching there would, would lash his hands and his arms with whips and knives until he literally sprinkled the outside wall of that jail with his blood. They built a wall because they were so upset with the people uh, 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 gathering there to hear the preaching. And they put uh, glass and, uh, well, the people would set up on the wall. So then they embedded the, the top of the wall with glass and, and wires and things. So they couldn't do that. Uh, but John Weatherford would not give up. And they would come on the other side of the wall and wave a flag so he'd know the crowd was there. And he had a leather, had iron lungs. <laughs> he could project his voice out over that. And folks were saved. The list goes on and on. Patrick Henry defended four Baptist pastors in Fredericksburg for doing the same thing. That was what's happening in Virginia 400 years ago. Well, we won that victory, and another victory was won, and you know that story very well, for George Washington defeated Cornwallis at Yorktown, and the 13 colonies became these United States of America. Our founding fathers gathered in Philadelphia to write a constitution. The first constitution they wrote was called the Articles of Confederation, but it did not work. Soon the country was falling apart, so they gathered in Philadelphia this time to write a new constitution. But they discovered one thing. They did not agree on anything. 
They argued, they fought, they debated. Somebody said they were all independent Baptists. Well, I don't think they were, but they sure knew how to, how to fight. And uh, they discussed, they debated, they argued. Hours turned into days, days turned into weeks. Nothing was being accomplished. But at the end of a very long day, when tempers were hot and the debate raged long, a venerable old man stood to his feet and he said, Gentlemen, I have lived a long time. He was in his early 80s and had every right to say uh, he was the oldest man present. His name was Benjamin Franklin, and I paraphrase his words. He said, the longer I have lived, the more firmly convinced I become there is a God in heaven who takes note when one sparrow falls to the ground. He said, how do we suppose that an empire can rise without his aid? The Holy Scriptures tell us that a house divided against itself cannot stand. He said, I therefore move that we begin these sessions with prayer. You know, a strange thing happened that day. Those men who had been unable to agree basically on anything came together very quickly and wrote the Constitution under which we have lived for over 200 years. Don't tell me God didn't have something to do with writing that Constitution. Folks, there are many principles in that Constitution that are based upon this word. I don't have time to get into that this morning, but there are numerous things there we find in that Constitution. The man who has chosen to pin that Constitution was none other than our own James Madison. You see him standing here under the oak tree. He's the little man whose hairline looks like mine. <laughs> By the way, that's where the resemblance ends. Mr. Madison was a brilliant attorney from Orange, Virginia, and he became known as the father of the Constitution. The Constitution was sent out to the 13 states, and each of the states was to elect from their constituents those who had come to Philadelphia and ratify the Constitution. Mr. Madison was in Fredericksburg one day, and he ran into a couple of his friends there. And Everybody assumed Mr. Madison would be our representative before, one of our representatives before that Constitutional Ratification Convention. But he met his friends there in Fredericksburg that day, James uh, Joseph Sumter and, and James Gordon. And they said to him, Mr. Madison... If you do not get home to Orange, you are not going to be elected to the Constitutional Ratification Convention because there's a Baptist pastor there who opposes your election. Let me ask you this. Why would a Baptist pastor oppose the great, the brilliant James Madison, the father of our Constitution? One reason and one reason only. Mr. Madison did not believe we needed the First Amendment to the Constitution. He did not believe it was necessary. Let me remind you what that First Amendment says. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or forbidding, prohibiting the free exercise thereof. But Baptist Pastor John Leland knew that if we were not guaranteed religious liberty in our Constitution, it would not be long until Baptist pastors would be back in jail again for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. James Madison told his friends, I have to go to Orange Major Moore is planning a dinner for me, and he's gathering a number of his friends together. We want to discuss the Constitution. I'll go by and talk to Pastor Leland. 
When he arrived in Orange that day, he went to the pastor's home. He knocked on the door. Mrs. Leland came to the door. He asked for the pastor. She said, the pastor's not here. He's down in a grove of trees where he often goes to pray and to study and, and, and meditate on the Word of God. And by the way, that's the grove of trees in the picture this morning. And by the way, that grove of trees still stands there. And if you go to Fredericksburg and take Route 20 toward, uh, uh, toward, if you go to Orange, excuse me, and you take Route 20 toward Fredericksburg, you'll find it a little ways outside of town on the left-hand side. It's called the Madison Leland Park. Uh, excuse me, it's called the Leland Madison Park. Got to get it in the right order. It's called the Leland Madison Park. And that's where uh, the discussion took place. Uh, Mr. Madison walked in the park that afternoon, that, that grove of trees. He apologized for disrupting the pastor. The pastor said, that's all right. I know why you're here. You want to talk about the Constitution? Well, they fell into it. And uh, they forgot all about the time. The people came to, uh, to Major Moore's expecting to see Mr. Madison, but he wasn't there. They uh, delayed supper, hoping Mr. Madison would arrive, but he did not come. They finally sat down at supper without him, and they waited after supper, and he still did not come. They always wondered what happened to him. Uh, they didn't know, but we do know. He was in that grove of trees discussing the First Amendment with Baptist Pastor John Leland. By the way, that's one way we know Mr. Madison was not a Baptist. He missed supper that night. <laughs> we Baptists may miss many things, but one thing we never miss is supper. Anyway, after they finished up late in that evening, they agreed to meet back in that same grove of trees on election day and debate the issues of the Constitution. Now, you have to understand that elections were a little bit different 200 years ago than they are today. For instance, there was no television. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Can you imagine being able to go to vote and not having seen at least a million ads on the television? Not only was there no television, there was no radio. Now, I'm sure there are people, because I see some gray hair, I, I'm sure there are people here today who can remember a day when there was no television, but I'm not sure there's anybody here who can remember a day when there was no radio. There was no television and no radio. Imagine what the world would be like without a radio. Imagine you could actually drive up uh, to a stoplight and stop your car and not have it fall apart because the radio in your car next year. You know what I'm talking about? I was driving up here yesterday and got, of course, in a little bit of traffic uh, just from Fredericksburg on, halfway from where I live. Anyway, uh, I noticed that uh, every once in a while my car would start shaking and I realized that it wasn't my motor, but it was the guy's radio in the car next to me. Anyway, no television, no radio, no telephone. No telephone. <laughs> My kids gave me a smartphone a few years ago. I still haven't figured out how to use it. Uh, anyway, it's smarter than I am, but uh, it, no telephone. You know, today you could be sued for child abuse for not providing a telephone for a teenager. <laughs> and I'm kidding, but it may come to that. Anyway, no television, no telephone, uh, uh, no, no television, no radio, no telephone, no telegraph, and very few newspapers. So on election day, the people would gather in town, they'd listen to the debates and go vote. The citizens of Orange, as they came into town that, that day, they were told the debates were not going to be in town. But in that grove of trees just outside of town, in the uh, Leland Madison Park, and that's the, what we have actually in the painting this morning. Mr. Madison went first. 
He mounted that very unusual pulpit. By the way, that's a hog's head of tobacco standing on one end. That would hold about a ton of tobacco. And uh, he went first. Now, he was not an eloquent speaker, but he was an excellent debater. And at the end, and he spoke for two and a half hours. Nobody will ever be accusing Pastor Bishop of preaching very long after they hear that, huh? Anyway, uh, when he got through, before he got through, he did something besides just talking about the Constitution. He revealed that he had, had changed his position 180 degrees from being opposed to the First Amendment to being in favor of it. Pastor Leland came next to speak, and of course you see him now with Bible in hand, standing on that same unusual pulpit. He spoke very briefly. He said, gentlemen, when you go... He didn't say anything about ladies because ladies couldn't vote then. Sorry, sorry, gals. I, I hate to inform you that. Anyway, he said, gentlemen, I trust that when you go and vote today, you're going to vote as I'm going to vote. And I'm going to vote for Mr. Madison because Mr. Madison has promised us when he gets to Philadelphia, he will secure for us the Religious Liberty Amendment to the Constitution. There was a large group of Baptists in that area, and they voted in a block for Mr. Madison and Mr. Madison won a very narrow election, which he could not have won without the Baptist vote. When he went to Philadelphia, as the leader of the Virginia delegation, he said, Virginia will not ratify the Constitution unless we are promised the First Amendment to that Constitution. Everybody knew that the Constitution could not pass without Virginia's vote. Because that they were promised that, and of course we got our Constitution. Folks, that's the true story of how we got our First Amendment to the Constitution. It was no accident that uh, John Leland moved from Massachusetts to Virginia. It was no accident that he chose Orange, Virginia. It was no accident that he was a neighbor to Mr. Madison. It was no accident that there was a large group of Baptists in that area. It was blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things. Point number three. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things, first of all, at our Constitution, at, at the cross, excuse me, secondly, in the founding of our country and the framing of our Constitution, and third, in the daycare case. Now this time... I do not want us to go back 200 years, but just a few years. I do not want us to go to Orange, Virginia, but just down the road a few miles to Richmond, Virginia. And we're not going to go to a grove of, of trees, but to the Capitol building. There on the third floor, we find a large mahogany desk. We find a large mahogany door, excuse me. And over the door, it says, the office of the governor. We walk through that door, and we find the governor seated behind his mahogany desk. Across the desk from him is a Baptist pastor seated with a book in his lap. The governor rises to his feet. He points his finger at the Baptist pastor. He said, sir, if you persist in doing what you're doing, that is operating a daycare without a license from the state, I'm duty-bound to uphold the laws of Virginia and their constitution, I'll have you thrown in jail. The pastor picked up the book in his lap. It was his Bible. He said, Governor, do what you must. 
He said, but you must understand that I must obey the dictates of this book. This book tells me that Jesus Christ must be Lord of the church. If I take a license from the state to operate a ministry of my Lord's church, I'm saying the state is Lord of the church, and I cannot do that. God intervened. That Baptist pastor did not go to jail. Instead, a law was passed exempting churches from licensure in their daycare ministry. Praise the Lord. I remember well when that law was passed. But immediately, a daycare in Lynchburg objected to that law and sued the state, saying the law was overbroad and therefore it was unconstitutional. Four times that law, that case was heard before the federal district court and four times it was heard before the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. The last time it was heard before the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, they voted three to zero in favor of the churches. That was an exciting decision. We never, we never dreamt we would see that. But immediately, the Lynchburg daycare sued asking for, appealed rather, asking for an in bonk hearing, which meant that all ten justices of the Fourth Circuit would review the case. Upon their review of the case, they voted seven to three in favor of the churches, and again we were excited. But again, the daycare uh, appealed the case all the way to the United States Supreme Court. It was now January. It was time for me to go to the Capitol and there monitor legislation on your behalf as your, as your watchdog. Before I went the first day, I called our lead attorney, Tony Troy, and I said, have you heard anything from the Supreme Court? He said, Jack, as you know, the Supreme Court works in mysterious ways. It's wonders to perform. Haven't heard a thing. <laughs> he said, if I hear something, I'll give you a call. I went on the Capitol monitoring legislation day after day. And one day when I was at the Capitol, I got a telephone call from a news reporter of Channel 12 there in, in Richmond. His name is Jim Babb. Man, I'd gotten to know very well, and he would often uh, uh, interview me for opinions from the other side. Anyway, uh, he called me. He said, Jack, he said, I don't know if you've heard it yet or not. It just came over the AP wire. You won the daycare case nine to zero. Man, I let out a war hoop. <laughs> you probably heard me. You're not that far from Richmond. Somebody said I had a Baptocostal fit. I don't think I did, but it was a great victory. Jim said, I, I, I said to Jim, Jim, you know, that's not a victory for Baptists. That's a victory for Virginians. He said, I'd like him down interviewing. And he came down that afternoon and he interviewed me. And I said to him at that time, I said, Jim, you know, we're not down here fighting battles for just for Baptists. We believe in religious liberty for everyone. We believe that when people are free, the Bible will always prevail. And so we want everybody to be free. Some of that got on the news that night, and that was kind of interesting. The next day, I went to the Capitol, and I was thanking some of the legislators for their work and getting the bill passed some 10 years earlier. It took 10 years for that court case to actually run through the courts. I was thanking one of the senior legislators in one of the committee rooms, and about that time, Delegate Mary Marshall from Arlington came walking into the room, and she overheard a conversation. She said, oh, no. She said, I can't believe the United States Supreme Court would have said that was a constitutional law. We were so hoping we'd passed an unconstitutional law. Then she left the room. 
I didn't give another thought to it. I went on about my business. The next day I went to the Capitol, and the very first thing I do every morning when I go to the Capitol is I empty the bill box. Now, I know you think the bill box is in front of your house. It says U.S. Mail on it. That's the wrong kind of bill. Every year we rent a bill box. We pay $600 for it. And we get a paper copy of every single piece of legislation that is introduced. So each morning I would go ahead and pull those out and I would look through the bills quickly to see if there are any bills that I thought might uh, affect our churches, our families, or our ministries. They would go in one pile and the other bills would go in a second pile. As I was going through the bills that morning, I came across a very strange bill. It was called House Bill 1432. And it called for the registration of vacation schools and summer camps. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word vacation school, I think immediately of daily vacation Bible school. And this brings me to the last point of my message. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things, first of all, and most importantly, at the cross. Secondly, in the founding of our country and the framing of our Constitution. Third, in the daycare case. And fourth, in the daily vacation Bible school bill. I wonder what the bill really meant. So I read through it very carefully. It was just two sides of one piece of paper, really not, not all that long. And it called for the registration of vacation schools and summer camps. It was going to require every vacation school uh, in Virginia to register with the Department of Social Services, giving them ten things. I'll just take two of those things and relate them to our daily vacation Bible school. Number one, a detailed description of the program offered. And number two, the qualifications, including the education, training, and experiential requirements for the director, all of their staff, and support personnel. Now, let's apply that to daily vacation Bible school, support personnel. That's the ladies who stir the Kool-Aid and the ladies who bake the cookies. I suppose the ladies who stir the Kool-Aid will have to be certified by Kool-Aid Incorporated. And the ladies who bake the cookies by Duncan Hines, Pillsbury, Betty Crocker. Hey, I didn't know what the bill meant. I said, I wonder who would introduce legislation like that. So I turned the bill back over on the front side, and here it was. Chief Patron, Delegate Mary Marshall. I said, I don't know what that bill means, but I know one thing. With her as the chief patron, it means no good to the churches. I got an appointment with Delegate Marshall, and I walked into her office. I said, Delegate Marshall, I've just finished reading House Bill 1432, and if I understand the bill correctly, you're going to require every church in the Commonwealth to register their daily vacation Bible schools with the Department of Social Services, giving them those ten things. She said, that is correct. But she said, we're not after the churches. I said, well, Delegate Marshall, since you're not after the churches, then surely you'll have no objection to the bill being amended to where churches are exempt from the, from the law. Have you ever asked somebody for something they don't want to give you? Have you ever noticed how cold and how quiet it gets in the room? I knew I had arrived at the North Pole, at least 40 below zero. It seemed like an eternity, and finally she said, Jack, I know you won the daycare case yesterday before the United States Supreme Court, and I don't want my bill to become a First Amendment battle. 
I'll give you permission to put a religious liberty amendment upon the bill. I thanked her and I walked out of her office. That night I went home and using the daycare law that had been passed 10 years earlier, I wrote out a religious liberty amendment that would exempt churches from the, from the, from the, from this law. I took it back to her the next day and I gave it to her. She said, Jack, I approve of that. Now, before a bill can become law, it takes five steps. It has to be the originating committee, which in this case was the House, the House committee, the House floor, the Senate committee, the Senate floor, and the signature by the governor. Since this was the House bill, it went to the House General Laws Committee. Since Delegate Marshall was in favor of the Religious Liberty Amendment, they amended the, excuse me, they amended the bill and put that on it and passed it 20 to nothing. It then went to the House floor, and again, because Delegate Marshall was in favor of the amended version with churches being exempt, it passed there 100 to nothing. Now it had to go to the Senate General Laws Committee. It was going to be in their committee on Thursday morning. Before I left the office on Thursday, house on Thursday morning, I said to my wife, nothing can go wrong. Delegate Marshall has agreed to the Religious Liberty Amendment. The House committee put it on the bill and passed it 20 to nothing. The House floor passed it 100 to nothing, and very few bills passed 100 to nothing in those days. I said, nothing can go wrong. I walked into the Senate committee room. The room was seated about 300 people, and uh, the 15 senators are seated up in the front facing the audience, and there's a podium facing the senators. They began their committee meeting, and they had heard several bills, and Delegate Mary Marshall walked into the room and, uh, uh, and walked up to the front, and, and she said, Mr. Senator Gray, chairman of the committee, I bring before you a little old uh, a vacation school registration bill, and she held it up. Now, it looked like this now because it had been amended, so it's on goldenrod paper. And our amendment is the last three lines uh, right here on the bill. No sooner had she said that than Senator Hunter Andrews from Hampton said, Mr. Chairman, I move we strike the Religious Liberty Amendment. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I leaped to my feet. I started toward the front, raising my hand, indicating I wanted to speak. It's a public meeting. Anybody's supposed to be allowed to speak. Senator Gray recognized me, and he said, I suppose you'd like to speak to that. I said, yes, sir, I would. I said, ten years ago, this body passed a law exempting churches from licensure in their daycare ministry. That's a lousy decision. We never should have made that. Senator Andrews cut me off. I said, Senator Andrews, I said, for ten years, that law has been in the courts. And our churches have spent a quarter of a million dollars defending that law in the, in the courts. And just a few days ago, the United States Supreme Court said it was a constitutional law. That's a terrible decision. What's the matter with that court? What are you churches trying to hide anyway? Two or three more times I tried to speak. Each time, Senator Andrews cut me off and would not allow me to speak. Even though he was not the chairman, and even though it was a public meeting, I was supposed to be allowed to speak. I realized I was not going to be able to speak, and I returned to my seat. They struck 
the Religious Liberty Amendment. This bill was now going to be before the Senate floor on Monday at noon. I slipped out of that committee room and went to the payphone. There were no cell phones in those days. They're, they're, they didn't have the crank on the side of the phone. I'm not that far back. Anyway, I, I went to the payphone and I called my wife. I said, honey, call as many churches as you can and ask them to ask their people to call their senator asking them not to vote for House Bill 1432 on Monday at noon unless the Religious Liberty Amendment is on the bill. She called churches all across Virginia, as many as she could reach, and telephone calls began coming in to the senators uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Some people knew their senators' home phone numbers, even called them at home on Sunday. <laughs> I began going office to office talking to the 40 senators. I was talking to one senior senator on Friday uh, morning, and, and he said to me, Jack, you got some major problems. I said, what do you mean? He said, number one, he said, Senator Andrews struck the Religious Liberty Amendment. He said, I'll be glad to vote for it, but I cannot put it back on the bill. Where are you going to find a senator with enough courage to put that back on the bill? He said, number two, he said, Senator Andrews struck the Religious Liberty Amendment. Senator Andrews is chairman of the Senate Finance Committee. Every senator out there has bills that have to go through that committee. They will be afraid to vote against him on Monday at noon. He said, number three, he said, you've got to get to Senator Elman Gray, the chairman of the committee, and get him to get Hunter Andrews calmed down before Monday at noon. He is close to Senator Andrews and may be able to do that. He said, Jack, come go with me. We'll make some plans as we walk through the halls. We walked out of his office on the third floor of an 11-story office building. We started down the hall, and who was standing there? Senator Elman Gray, the chairman of the committee. Let me ask you this. Why was Senator Gray standing there right then? Why not five minutes earlier or five minutes later? Why wasn't he on the 10th floor in a committee room or the 1st floor in a committee room? I'll explain to you what happened. God had written on Senator Gray's appointment book, I want you outside so-and-so's office at such and such a time. Now, he wrote in the same handwriting he wrote on Belshazzar's wall. And Senator Gray couldn't read the writing. But Senator Gray did what the writing said. God put him there. The senator that I was with grabbed a hold of Senator Gray. He said, Senator Gray, this man's got a problem. Oh, he said, he said yeah. He said, I heard the whole thing. The senator that I said, no, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. This man is right. He said, you've got to help him. And he held Senator Gray there while I talked to him. When I got through talking to him, he said, Jack, I'll do what I can to help. And he turned and walked away. <coughs> I continued to meet with senators Thursday, Friday, Saturday. There was a committee of senators meeting on Sunday afternoon. I went in and talked to some of them. By Monday morning, we had 18 votes who said, 18 senators said, we'll vote with you, Jack, on that bill. I said, thank you. We have to have 21 votes. 
Another senator said to me, Jack, I'll put the religious liberty amendment back on the bill. I said, sir, do you understand Senator Andrews struck that bill, struck that amendment? He said, Jack, is the amendment right? I said, yes, sir, it is. He said, I'll put it back on. I said, thank God for a man who do what's right. Just because it's right. Not because it's easy, not because it's popular, not because it's politically correct. Just because it's right. We now have 19 votes. Eight more senators said, Jack, we'll vote with you as long as Senator Andrews doesn't have a hissy fit on the floor of the Senate on Monday at noon. You say a hissy fit? That doesn't sound very nice. Well, that's what Senator Andrews called his tirade, so I guess we can call him that too. It's now Monday at noon. Time for our bill to be heard. I went into a side room where I could watch the proceedings on closed circuit television. Time for our bill to be heard. And Senator Gray, stood, the chairman of the committee, stood to his feet. He said, Mr. President, I move that the Senate reject the committee version of House Bill 1432. Wow. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. That's exactly the motion we needed to have made. He was the best one to make the motion. Why did he make the motion? I didn't ask him to. I knew he was too close to Hunter Andrews. I, I couldn't imagine he would make that motion. Why did he make that motion? Did, did, I don't know why. Except God. Maybe it was a telephone call from a constituent. Here's what he was saying. Listen carefully. If they re oops, I'm throwing my paper away. If they rejected the Senate version of House Bill 1432 without the Religious Liberty Amendment on it, it would then go back to the House version with the Religious Liberty Amendment on it. Oh, I was so excited to hear the motion. Three senators stood to their feet and spoke in favor of religious liberty. Three senators stood to their feet and spoke against religious liberty. And the last one to stand to speak was Senator Hunter Andrews. He spoke very briefly and sat down. And again, I could not believe. Folks, I've heard him stand and rant and rave on a bill for 10 and 15 minutes. Who shut the senator's mouth? My mind went back to Daniel and the lion's den. Who shut the lion's mouth? Did Daniel, by, by cunning, slip out the night before and get them all a McDonald's hamburger so he wouldn't be hungry the next day? No, of course not. Did Daniel hold their jaws shut so he could sleep all night? Of course not. God shut the lion's mouth. And the God who shut the lion's mouth shut the hunter's mouth, Senator Hunter Andrews. A voice vote was taken and the Religious Liberty Amendment was put back on the bill. Now it's time for a recorded vote. A vote that can end up in a report card at election time. One senator was out six, so there's only 39 senators there. When the recorded vote was taken, it was 38 yes and zero no. No sooner had the vote shown up on the board, they have an electronic board that it shows up on, than one senator leaped to his feet. Mr. President, Mr. President, I pushed the wrong button. They have six buttons on their desk. 
One for voting yes, one for voting no, one for voting speak. I think the other is for voting I don't know. I don't know what they all are for, but those three I know. He said, I pushed the speak button by mistake. I meant to vote yes on this good bill. I want the journal to record that I intended to vote yes on this bill. Nobody wanted to be recorded as voting against religious liberty. Folks, when you have your identification Bible school next summer, you'll not report to the Department of Social Services, not because of Jack Knapp, not because of the Virginia Assembly of Independent Baptists, but because blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things. God had Senator Gray staying outside that office. God shut Senator Hunter Andrews' mouth. God is the one who gave us the victory every single time. Praise him for his wonderfulness, shall we pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much that we serve not only a wonderful God, but the God who rules all. You've said in your word, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And Lord, we pray for our nation. We're such a needy nation at this time. And unless you turn our nation around, it cannot be turned around. And Lord, if there's one here today who does not know you as Savior, pray they will not walk out of the auditorium but rather would come and meet me at the front so I could show them from your word how they can know that they have real freedom, that their sins are forgiven, heaven is their home, and Jesus Christ is their Savior. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Pastor.